This is David Cosgrave from Orlando City Soccer Club, the guy who drove the Irish ice cream van. Looking forward to listening to my episode on the Sleepy Perform Repeat podcast. Coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. But just everything is about autonomy and support. So then if people feel like they can achieve it, competent in it, they think it's all part of this high performance model that we're growing. And it's a very, very simple motivational theory. People really, they love it and they grow. That's how I have refined my leadership style now. And I try and keep it as simple as that. Really excited for you to hear this episode. An excellent discussion with a great man and a good friend of the show, David Cosgrave. It's coming up very soon, but we wanted to highlight and point you in the direction of an excellent competition we have running at the moment. As per our episode last week with Dr. Michael Gervais, he's given us two places on his coveted online course, Finding Your Best, curated by himself and also NFL coach Pete Carroll. If you want to enter that competition, just head over to Instagram at sleepyperformrepeat and follow the steps on any post from episode 164. It's easy to enter and it's still open now and these prizes are worth over $500 each. So thanks again to Dr. Michael Gervais and all the team at Finding Mastery for giving us the chance to give away these prizes. Finally, before we start, a big thank you to Hawara, the overarching sponsor of the show. But for now, let's dive in with our guest, the excellent David Cosgrave. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Today we spoke with David Cosgrave, purposeful leader in high performance. A skilled, eloquent and resourceful strategic leader in high performance across multiple English Premier League, UEFA Europa and UEFA Champions League campaigns, David is now working in the MLS with Orlando City SC. David's career is synonymous with words like culture, leadership, purpose and high performance. He's experienced having worked with clubs across different countries like FC Copenhagen, Fulham, Stoke City, Liverpool, Spurs and Bolton Wanderers. David completed a Master of Sports Directorship, was involved with Right to Dream and co-founded the Leadership Bunker. Today we spoke about what his role involves in Orlando and what his day-to-day looks like. Also, how he avoids burnout and what he does to stay fresh and energised. He unpacks the meaning and origins around his identity. Purposeful leader in high performance. We discuss how to find harmony between a busy and demanding professional life with being a parent and partner. We discuss mentorship, role modeling, and would David come back to Ireland? Plus a fond memory of his Irishness involving an ice cream van adventure. The wrap up by MC David is worth the price of admission to this one. Wait to the end. David Cosgrave, welcome to the show. What's going on? Thanks, lads. Thanks for the introduction. I've been really looking forward to this one. It's uh, my first ever Irish podcast. I know it's global, but I'm hoping we're going to go back to the streets of Ballybrack. So I'm excited to see where this one goes. Dave, not everyone knows what you're doing now. So what are you doing now and where are you calling in from? So I've got a punchy title these days. I'm the Senior Director of Sports Medicine and High Performance. And uh, I've transitioned from Europe over to uh, the United States, and I'm now sitting in Orlando, in Orlando City Soccer Club, uh, which is, uh, let's say, 
a prominent MLS club uh, that has been in the playoffs for the last couple of years and has some new owners. Uh, the Wilf family from the Minnesota Vikings, any NFL fans out there, uh, the Wilf family have decided to uh, take a step into uh, the Florida football scene, soccer as they call it here. So uh, yeah, somehow I have found myself being transported from Copenhagen, Denmark, and I'm sitting in uh, sunny Florida now. So it's been a great transition so far. Take us back to the title, because the two of us were looking at your LinkedIn and we're like, Senior Director of Sports Medicine High Performance. We might have a, a guess as to what that means, but for those listening that mightn't fully understand what that does mean, what does that mean? Yeah, it's a really interesting title, um, and all credit goes to the general manager, Luis Muzzi, because he was trying to find something that encapsulated all of the different responsibilities that I would have, but also could signal uh, that this was a very um, you know, prominent position within the organization that's growing. So the senior director thing, um, you know, basically was, you know, that's senior leadership um, and encompassing sports medicine, which is interesting because I'm an advisor um, to the sports medicine group. Uh, and we have uh, our main sponsors are Orlando Health and they have medical experts that they provide to the club. So I advise them and I advise the athletic training team and the physical therapy team on you know what best practice might be but then they hadn't decided what high performance was and I know you guys love high performance so they didn't want this to be a medical advisor role they wanted this to be an all-encompassing role to see if we could do what it takes to win could we do something a little bit different that brings everything together so high performance involves creating a sports science group and integrating with the SNCs, the fitness coach uh, making sure that nutrition services are world-class and uh, building out a psychological framework. So mental health, mental wellness, the language around uh, a psychologically informed environment. So building that out, but not just focusing on the first team, making sure that every single layer of the club um, is getting world-class services around sports medicine and high performance. So if we think of it as a pyramid, every uh, foundational level that gets to the first team will be getting touch points from me. So it's a really dynamic role, um, and it means I get to be involved in every single part of the business um, related to medicine, sports medicine, high performance. So it's so interesting. There's probably not a role like it in uh, the MLS. So all credit to the general manager and uh, Sportsology, which is the group that put the role together. Uh, that's a guy called Mike Ford, uh, who was at Chelsea and Bolton back in the day with Sam Allardyce. So uh, that's uh, that's what the senior director of sports medicine and high performance gets up to on a daily basis. Well, all credit to you for taking up the role. It sounds really interesting. And first thing I'm thinking is you're talking about physical training, physical preparation, physical improvements, mental to a, to an extent as well. Is there an aspect of any social integration, interaction, or maybe social aspects that you have to add to that? Because you're talking about the culture, the fabric of the club. How much is the weight towards physical, mental, and then social or any other areas? That's a great question, Karen. The, the head coach is an unbelievable um, character. His name is Oscar Perea, and he's an ex-player, and he's the third um, highest, uh, let's say, highest number of games in the MLS. His whole coaching model has a social cohesion part to it. It's so interesting to watch him work. And all the coaches and the directors and the leaders that he has put in place 
are all following a social team cohesion um, model. And so I've walked into a model that actually mirrors the model that I like to use. And that's, do we like each other? Do we like to work together? And if we like each other, can we work on our tasks a little bit better? So it's fascinating for me to walk into an environment that is already using the model. So that, that quiet psychosocial thing that sometimes doesn't get a, enough oxygen in the room when it's all technical and tactical and physical, actually here, it's almost, it's almost 50, 50 weighted in this environment because they really, really, really care about each other. There is a group of Argentinian coaches and they have a huge barbecue that they've built, um, Asador, and they go and cook all of their meats and they'll have 20, 30, 40 kilos of beef cooking uh, three, four days before a game. And all the players and all the staff and all the support staff, um, they'll all come together, break bread with each other, sit down and enjoy the meat that one of the players has paid for and one of the coaches has spent maybe five or six hours cooking and, you know, they've already spent two or three hours doing the coals for it. So, you know, I've never worked in an environment before where social cohesion is, you know, so important. And when I came here, my plan was to be the glue that brings all these things together. But um, it has been a like a quite um, a revelation and a general shock to me that this is what the coaches are doing already. So, uh, I'm, I'm really lucky that I'm this environment. And what about if you're in an environment where, of course, you're trying to instill social cohesion, bring it all together, corporate or sport, but there is dysfunction. And maybe that's silo thinking, it's groupthink, or it's, it's an individual or two that's just a little bit disruptive, Dave. What would be your suggestion as to how you can build cohesion and help mitigate that or, or improve that environment? Yeah, the model is the model I used was always look, do we love our task or do we love our team? If you love your team, you'll go above and beyond. And to like to love your team, you have to know are we the same? And if the, you're not the same, do I respect your otherness? So, you know, if there's a guy in your team and he's not on board the bus or he's sitting at the back of the bus or he wants to get off the bus, he's giving you some clues that there's something that is not going right within the team. And that can usually be, you're not speaking the same language, and that is a common language, not the language like the native language. Or there's a little bit of resistance because you haven't included him or her in where the team is going. So they don't feel included, and they don't feel like you're speaking the common language. Now, if you ignore that person in any team, that outlier, if you don't actually go to them and try and understand what they're trying to tell you, you're missing some valuable clues in a team cohesion moment because you might need that person in a team. Now, if you imagine you're in a small team of five players or you're in a big team of 15 players or you're in an organization, there will be a certain percentage of people that are resistant and they're passively resistant. But the worst thing is that you have these activists who are actively resistant and they can be the people that you know want to rock the boat or they want to shake things up. You have to invest the time and go and understand what they're trying to tell you because the clues they're giving you in your social team cohesion um, model, they're very, very valuable because you have to correct those things if you want to have an inclusive team. So I would say uh, if anybody's listening and they can picture someone that might not be connected or not sitting on the right bus or maybe even sitting 
downstairs on the bus when everybody else is upstairs. You need to go and find out how you can understand that person's situation better. And that's probably one of you know, the important parts of a change management project when you're thinking about building a team. Try and get the awareness and try and understand why that person is not actually attached, actively participating in the social cohesion of your team. You'll get some amazing clues and then you should try and address them. That's brilliant. And you mentioned that it was a revelation, the social cohesion, the culture that was there at Orlando City. When you took the job up, Senior Director of Sports Medicine, High Performance, you've got the role and you're looking forward to your start. Did you create a roadmap for yourself of how you would integrate into the team? Did you have an approach as maybe informal, formal that you go and meet the players? Because you maybe didn't anticipate that it was going to be as socially connected as it was. Is there a way David Cosgrave brings a certain aspect to his approach that he promotes that social cohesion? Yeah, so it sounds like you've got inside my Google Drive and you read my um, my document on this. It's very scary. But here's a model for anybody that goes into a new business. Um, don't change anything ever. The minute you go in, you basically, people's hair will stand up and they'll be thinking, this guy's coming in here to change things. People become extremely scared and anxious about change. It's one of the scariest things ever. So you have to have a change management strategy, but you have to be aware of you know just how triggering the concept of change can be for people you know it's probably hits the amygdala and the neuroscience of it is you know very scary so you want to do the opposite so i had a four-step model the first thing you do is you spend your 90 days or your 100 day plan observing and once you observe things you put them into different buckets Uh, certain things you want to maintain because we're in a high performance environment There has to be a reason why Orlando has been in the playoffs for the last two years. So, of course, they're doing great things. So you want to maintain all of those existing structures, make sure you support everybody in their roles. Then if you find something that is critical to the mission, critical to your daily operations, what you want to try and do is you want to try and improve that. And using your experience, you know, all the things that you can from, you know, past adventures and other businesses or other football clubs of course when you're in a senior position like this you'll have seen things that other people haven't seen so what you want to do is you want to try and improve it but you want to nudge it just a little bit and then the final thing you want to do after you're doing this uh, like observation process is that you want to signal to all the other uh, leaders within the business that there might be something that you actually have to change because it's critical the micro cycles are big cycles of winning games in a football club. So if you are going to step into a transformational change project within your first 90 days or your first 100 days inside a business, well, if you don't have stakeholder buying, you're in big trouble because you're just going to trigger everybody and you're going to set yourself off on a crazy journey of change management. And if you don't have invested people, if you don't figure out who's passive, who's active, who's resistant, who's on board, if the big guys who hired you haven't signed that off, then your change management project will die immediately and probably your rapport and your goodwill within the business will die. So what I've done is I've purely observed, tried to maintain the really, really good things, and then we've improved certain things around nutrition, certain things around the language and of uh, the psychological framework, and then we have a few big change management projects uh, signposted to come in the the later part of the year. Dave, I'd love to zoom out for a minute. You've 
spent a lot of time in different clubs and you've spent a lot of time in different countries with a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people. On your LinkedIn profile, you're a purposeful leader in high performance. You know, strong words, words that would resonate with a lot of people. The question with your journey to date and what you're doing now, even in Orlando, why do you do what you do? And what is it about what you do that really lights your fire? That's great. And why do I do what I do? Um, I went through this great period of discovery back in 2016, 17 with Craig White, who was a mentor to high performing men, came from rugby, extremely spiritual guy, was on the Lions tour um, and then moved towards yoga and the mindfulness space. And he sat me down over those two years and he, you know, we went through my past and we unpacked a lot of things and any pain or anything, any limiting beliefs that I might have been carrying on my journey as I moved through high performance. And he said, look, what does it all look like at the end? And I was like, you know, I just want to make sure that I can build relationships with people who are going on their own journeys and that they would be able to trust me to guide them in the right direction. So then this word trust came up. So um, he was like, okay, well, what does trust mean? Well, first of all, I have to trust myself. And second of all, I want people to feel like they can trust me. Okay, well, then he's like, well, what does that mean? Well, that means, you know, I need to be authentic and sincere. Or what does sincerity mean? So we went, we unpacked all these different words and we got to purposeful at the end that I could be a trustworthy person for other people. Um, and that, you know, the things we were doing together would be purposeful. And in the high performance space, you know, that could be winning games, winning championships, winning trophies, whatever. But it could also be like, you know, building a career that means something. So I set off on that journey and I found myself on a purposeful journey where actually the trophies and the medals didn't really mean anything in the end. And it was really about building teams and supporting people on their journeys. So, you know, one of the great things about FC Copenhagen was that uh, we won, I think, three leagues, three cups, got in the Champions League, did the Europa. But the really, the great thing I take from it was that the guy who took my role when I left was a guy that I had developed. Another guy who's ready to take over a leadership role was another guy that I had developed under my mentorship. And then a few other guys left and went off to other clubs. And then they became heads of departments in their own clubs. And it reminds me of my journey from when I met Mark Taylor at Bolton. And he basically mentored me, took me to Fulham, and then you know helped me grow in my role. And then when I went to FC Copenhagen, I called him the day before and I said, look, do you think I'm able to do this? And he said, of course you're able to do it. You just never believed that you could do it. So the path I am on now, uh, mentoring and helping other uh, young people become heads of departments, uh, I'm basically just doing what he did for me. So now when I'm sitting over here in, um, in Orlando, the thing that's most interesting to me is that I'm able to promote from within and grow uh, other young leaders to take over as heads of departments here. We've already started that process. We've identified two young leaders who are now heads of their uh, departments. And I think I have another two more within the business that can you know, lead their own departments as well. So that's the thing that I love. And the purposeful leader in high performance, um, I'm just trying to now do what Mark Taylor did for me and I needed for so many other people. And the guys in Copenhagen are doing the same. And I hope in Orlando they can do the same when my time is up here. A big theme that's coming out of that answer is, or that response is mentorship and maybe giving back to the next generation or looking to improve people. But there's also a self-development piece in that, like Richard Feynman, the professor, spoke about 
you don't understand something unless you can teach it to a 12 year old, explain it to a 12 year old. How much of that approach are you using, that mentorship approach are you using to improve your skills and your attributes by looking after these next generation? Yeah, it's great. It reminds me of the Jeremy Irons uh, scene in Margin Call when he says, explain it to me like I'm a, <laughs> like I'm a dog. Um, but yeah, so what I like to do is I like to chunk down things. So chunk down big, big, big things and try and explain them to people who may not have had the benefit of our experience in high performance. Try and make things manageable to understand and try and attach some learning to it and then some micro coaching. And, you know, I really use the autonomy, relatedness, competency, Decky and Ryan um, motivational model to make sure that people can find their own way to get to answers. It's all about autonomy. And it's all about this mentorship. It's like, look, we can relate because we understand high performance together. If we don't relate on it, I'm going to help teach you it. I'm going to make you feel like you're really, really competent at it by chunking down your responsibilities to things that you love. So if you're really, really competent on one thing, and that's the circle of competence, stole that from Warren Buffett, then you know, you'll come to work every day with a spring in your step, with that self-efficacy about thinking, I can achieve this. And finally, my job as a leader is to let you run with it, give you some guardrails, let you stay in your lane, let you jump out of your lane when you need to. But just everything is about autonomy and support. So then if people feel like they can achieve it, competent in it, they think it's all part of this uh, high performance model that we're growing. And you know, it's a very, very simple motivational theory. People really, they love it and they grow. And that's, re- that's how I have refined my leadership style now. And I try and keep it as simple as that. Look, we just spoke to Michael Gervais and he, and he talked to alignment. And David, we're curious because you've, you've been there, done that. And now you, you've moved across the Atlantic to Orlando. You're touching on autonomy and support. What about those people like yourself and others that are in those high pressure environments and there's a lot demanded of them in that environment but they also have a family or they have other areas where they need to also perform how do you find the alignment so we uh, stole something on the leadership bunker from a guy called mark and mark said to us work-life blend so the blend is a fantastic way to describe it but it's also difficult to say to your wife when you go home look this is my work-life blend so I think you sometimes have to make sure that everybody at home is aligned. And I always recommend to everybody to do the John D. Martini values deter- determination exercise, which you can do online. It's free. Get your wife or your better, better half to do it and you do it as well. And just see if your highest values, your highest priority are conflicting with your wife at home. Maybe her highest priority is, um, let's see, looking after the kids and doing the big family holiday twice a year. Maybe your priority or your highest value is uh, winning a medal, uh, developing your career, and going on an eight-week camp for the Olympics. Now, they're not congruent to a happy life, and that's not going to be anything but a conflict zone at home. So if you haven't done the work and you haven't investigated what the highest priorities are at home and they are at work, you're always going to have a problem with the alignment or the blend or the work-life balance. So I think you have to you know, humbly investigate, do your goals um, balance with the goals at home? And if they don't, then you know the source of all the conflict. So you have to have a talk about it. 
Because if you haven't had a chat about it, then every time you go on an away trip or every time you go on your six-week away trip, that's going to trigger the person that you leave at home. And then that's nothing but a massive conflict zone because you're not actually sharing the same vision. So that would be the first thing that you do. Second thing that I've done here is I've role modeled to the other staff that family first is an important tagline that we're going to use here. So that means that off means off. It means that you're not allowed to take work home. You're not allowed to answer emails late at night. You're not to be spamming everybody on the group chat, on the WhatsApp group chat. Uh, work that you think is essential to send out at 11 p.m., well, that can wait till 7 a.m. And you know, if anybody is burning out a little bit, that the rest of the staff have to basically, you know, parachute in and carry some of that load. So, you know, you have to look outside of your own um, zone of responsibility into that of your colleagues to make sure um, if they're signaling to you that they're burning out, that you can go and help them. So we're starting to normalize those conversations now and we have language for it, but I'm effectively role modeling it. And I'm doing it because I'm here over from my experience in Europe where the Danes might have had a different view on what the work-life blend was. Basically, they would go to the summer house on a Thursday and you might see them again on a Tuesday. And they would do that maybe between five and seven times a year. Uh, so, you know, that's a huge amount of uh, commitment to family time. And a lot of guys would actually miss the game on a Saturday or a Sunday because it was their turn to go to the summer house so it's a fascinating concept isn't it yeah yeah it's hugely and something me and david talk about with different cultures needing a summer house needing a summer house here <laughs> no but just the the burnout in elite sports because a lot of the time in high pressure environments high performance sport a lot of the time it's focused on the athletes are, are the athletes burned out what's going on with their recovery and not a lot of light is shone on the support staff or even the people within the organization that don't directly impact the players through training and that, but impact the organization through their roles, their, their operations. Is it something you've experienced and does it change within cultures from England to Denmark to the US? And how big a role does burnout or how big an issue is burnout within high-performance sport, do you think? Yeah, one of the biggest issues in high-performance sports for definitely for um, the participants, like the staff participants, it's huge. You know, two things have happened recently. The language has been normalized and there's effective role models out there that people can talk about it. It's not just for athletes, but it's also for staff. So I always give Cody Royal a shout out because he talks about, um, you know, coach burnout, which is really good. But, you know, the, the language is changing so we can talk about it. That's the most important thing. And then the toxic masculinity of overworking yourself, you know, and that uh, you have to be tough. You have to man up. You have to do the hours. You have to graft. You know, my own opinion on that has changed over the years because it's not as important now to do your 80 hours to show that you're valuable. You can be one of these uh, generalists who becomes a niche specialist and you're so valuable to the team that you can just, you know, parachute in and out. You don't have to do your 80 hours um, later on in the business. Early on, you might have to. One of the most interesting things that I've seen around scheduling um, in high performance is that if you have two lads go on the road and they do a huge away trip when they come back in on monday they're totally broken men or broken women what you really need then is you need someone who's fresh to step into that space so you can make better decisions so that their energy can change the mood in the room so if you have two guys who traveled uh, say to portland which is five hours we might lose the game in the last minute and we fly back 
they're probably not the right guys to be in the room on the Monday morning. They need to have that time off because someone has to pick up the players and someone has to think straight. So what I've done in my time in Copenhagen is we always made sure that there was a fresh guy to be ready on Monday morning when we came back from one of our long bus trips. And what we've done here already is that we've changed the scheduling of the staffing, the structural part of the organization, making sure that there's always fresh people ready for when we get off the plane. That's simply an organizational structural thing. And, you know, as a leader, my job is to just make sure I'm putting the right people on the right seats on the right bus and making that simple structural change that we have someone fresh when we get home. That can make all the difference to the staff, but also to the players. So uh, I would advise anybody who's in charge of the scheduling that they approach you know, the freshness of staff for when a returning team is coming back to the training facility. And for someone who's at the top towards the front of the bus with really high self-awareness, Dave, how do you stay and keep fresh? What does the day-to-day look like for yourself? Yeah, that's a really good question because I'm famous for overworking and burning the candle at both ends. So uh, self-awareness, meaning that I have a mentor, uh, Craig White. I have like I check in with him every two weeks. We do a one-on-one, um, do a lot of breath work. Uh, guided meditation. I do uh, little 12-minute breakouts on YouTube for um, my favorite nature sounds for meditation. Uh, When I'm in my head, uh, because I'm such a logical thinker, I go inside my body and I try to feel more. And that's something I do actively all the time. Um, I take micro breaks and I go for walks uh, and I try and do some mindfulness and I try and connect with nature. Um, when I know I am getting a little bit too wired, I go into a dark room, lock the door, switch off the phones, airplane mode. So I have loads of little techniques that I use to make sure that I don't graft myself into the ground. Um, but you have to be consistent and you, you have to do the work because otherwise if you're always on and you're meant to be a leader, you're not being an effective role model for other people. So I have to look after myself as well. Um, and then I promise to, uh, Jana and Valentina. And when they came over that I would be massively present when I get home. So phone off airplane mode and that I'm, uh, I'm present at home and that we go to Disney or we go to universal um, and that my off time is off. So I will not uh, be getting bombarded with calls. So airplane mode on and that the business will survive without me for 24 hours. So make sure that the other leaders and heads of department, that they know that they are autonomous and that they can make decisions without me. Uh, But otherwise, we will forecast it. If there's something big happening, we make sure that we have a roadmap of plan A, plan B, and plan C. So a lot of deep planning goes into making sure that you can take your day off. This is a big point. Um, A lot of time people think recovery and rest is something that you do and it's easy and it should feel easy and it's something that should fall into your daily routine as as you plan it out but if you think about it you said it there it takes work so recovery takes work you have to plan it you have to be able to do it and it's not easy doing meditation it's not easy doing mindfulness it's not even easy leaving your desk or leaving wherever you're working to go for a walk in nature for the people that struggle to stay consistent with it because it seems like you've found the keys for yourself anyway about how to implement it and incorporate it in your in your day-to-day would you have any advice for people how they can do the same yeah, Karen, that's great. It, it, it is hard. So you need to get a toolbox. Yeah, You need to create you know, a set of things that you like. It could be uh, harp music, which can basically, uh, what I've learned in the past is that harp, the sound of the harp is like, uh, it resonates with your own heart. 
So it could be music, it could be nature sounds, it could be meditation, but it could be laughter, it could be watching a movie, it could be whatever. You need to find something that works for you. And then you need to have, you know, some go-to things when you are in your head, when you're dissociating, when you're looking down on yourself, when you're thinking so many steps ahead, you know, it's not healthy. So that should be your trigger uh, for self-awareness that you now need to go inside your body and you need to basically feel something or you need to connect with another person or you need to break a cycle of something. So you have to be alert to the triggers. When you know that you've triggered, then you basically just have to set off some type of behavior. And that behavior is then to take yourself away from whatever it is that's triggered you and get yourself into some situation that will change your state. So let's say you're in the office and you're getting bogged down in a task. Well, then what you would need to know is where is the physical space that you can get to that can change your mood? Now that could be outside, or you could have assigned a quiet room somewhere in your business where you can go. So FC Copenhagen, we had a meditation room. We had a breakout sleeping room. So there was two places you could go when you wanted to basically change your mood. Now, not everybody has that, but everybody probably has an outdoor or an outside. And everybody can definitely get out of their chair and move away from a computer. So you just have to remember what that trigger is, and that should set off some type of behavior. And then you have to change your state in some way. Now, it's all intentional. So if you don't have a plan, if you haven't done the work, then of course you're just going to get bogged down, stuck at a screen, and you're not going to be able to change it. So you have to sit down and figure out what works for you. And when you have that plan, plan A or plan B, then you have to go and do it. Now, it's so valuable having 12-minute meditation on YouTube as a, something to follow. Everybody can find um, Cam app on their app store, or everybody can find a bit of nature or a, a tree somewhere. And all you have to do then is go outside and intentionally focus on it or go inside and intentionally focus on the sound of that YouTube, lock the door and do some box breathing maybe and you will find yourself, you know, uh, changing your state. So hopefully that can help people, uh, you know, plan something that works for them. That's brilliant, Dave. A couple more questions. Going back to, this is an Irish podcast, <laughs> lots of Irish people on this speaking. And you mentioned the harp. You've traveled around a lot and you've moved, you've moved on quite a lot from humble origins. What do you take from Ireland with you today in Orlando? I think Irish people just have this resilience, you know, maybe every other country thinks they're resilient, but, uh, you know, we have this can do, will do. If you put us in a new border, if you put us in a new country, a new place, you know, we will find a way to get it done and maybe we'll find it by linking into other people who are like us who uh, have left their own shores but wherever i go i always feel like i can attach myself to other cultures or other people and this irishness allows me to bond with people and find a sense of belongingness a community no matter no matter where i go and i don't bump into a load of irish lads wearing their gaelic jerseys down in an irish pub you just bump into a load of other people who are on a similar journey and you can find community anywhere that you go looking for it. Now, the Danish, um, the Danish might be a little bit different. They might go looking for a Dane <laughs> or um, some of the British lads might go, they have to find a few Brits. But, um, you know, I, I've often gone on my own journey and over here we have a few Americans, but then we have only South Americans inside our business a lot of Brazilians in the front office. There's not an Irishman to be found. Uh, 
uh, nowhere apart from <laughs> I think do you remember the World Cup in Orlando scared all the Irish off when they got that um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think an Irish man has ever come back to Orlando for more than a week <laughs> and two weeks since then so, too long ago yeah, it would be hard to find an Irish man here but I would feel being Irish that I can find uh, a community anywhere feel so attached to the possibilities and um, that the strength in being Irish having left Ireland means I will meet people everywhere and it won't, um, nothing will hold me back. I don't know if other Irish people feel that way. Did you feel that way, David, when you left and went over to the UK or when you went to America? I've never heard somebody say it like that. But yeah, I can understand what you're saying. I never really felt I needed to meet another Irish person. I'd be happy enough spending time, definitely at that barbecue with all that steak anyway from Argentina. That sounds great. But yeah, no, I think uh, you hit on something there, Dave. So Dave, just coming up to the last two questions of the show, and you've given us so much already. You've given us an awful lot. I'm just thinking about the next five to 10 years about David Cosgrave and his journey ahead. Is there any plan to return to Ireland? Is there something that down long term that you're looking at? Or do you very much just take it as it comes over the next few years and have these maybe longer term goals for your professional and family life? And putting family first and does that just take you where you go or is ireland trek and beacon signaling yeah. up for you at all it's um you know everything is intentional that i do and so you know i have all my plan a's and b's and c's and then i tried to make sense if i went on the right journey if the wind took me took my sails into the right place and um, my daughter valentina um she's 15 months old so she has a danish passport and um, my uh Yana speaks speaks to her in Danish, um, and I sing nursery rhymes to her in Danish. And the Danish school system starts at six. So, you know, our agreement within our family is that, you know, when we do our highest values, that our highest values is that Valentina grows up as a Dane. The, um, the Danish family around her and the Danish so- social system and the Danish way of living is just, you know, it's a really, really special place to live and to grow up. So. In the next five years, my job here in the United States is to create a sustainable high-performance culture at Orlando City. So when I do have to leave to go back uh, to Denmark, that um, I've left something very, very sustainable behind. And I work at that every day to make sure that all of my teaching and learning and micro-coaching is going to like leave something valuable. The, the question about Ireland is really strange because... I left Ireland in 1996 and I went off to chiropractic college in Bournemouth and I left Dublin in 1995 to go uh, to Yates College over in Galway and I consider myself you know 90% Dublin and 10% Galway and the call to come back to Ireland um, was never there it's never it's never actually been able to like drag me back apart from some great days in the Aviva and Lansdowne stadiums, drinking pints of Guinness and watching uh, amazing rugby matches. So that's about it. Ireland hasn't been able to like latch on to me, uh, like a tractor being and pull me back. But I don't know if you guys ever heard about the Irish ice cream van. Um, did you ever hear that story? No, I do tell. Do tell. In 2012, we bought an ice cream van and we painted it the tricolor. And we went off on an amazing trip to Poland. We drove from London. I worked at Fulham at the time. And we got all the players from Fulham and all the players from the Irish team to sponsor it. And we jumped in our ice cream van and we drove through um, 
Uh, we drove through Europe. We went to Berlin. We made it to Gdansk, Gdynia. We went to Poznan, um, and we drove around in this Irish ice cream van. It became a bit of a media sensation. It was crazy on. I seen uh, this. I crazy I've on seen this in the newspaper. Crazy on the newspaper. RTE followed us everywhere. Uh, a guy called Paddy. <laughs> Paddy's name, but Paddy, us and Paddy and Jamie Duff, Duffer's brother, we all went around in this ice cream van. And it was the most Irish thing you've ever seen. It was unbelievable. Uh, we Basically, lads were breaking into the ice cream van to sleep in it and have pictures taken. It. We had so much fun. We had so much fun doing that. And we did it over, I think, three weeks that, you know, my fill of Irishness, I'll never forget it. And the need to come back to Ireland to feel Irish, that, that's, that, that, I'm satiated now by that experience back in 2012. I never, ever, ever have to worry about am I Irish or not if I live abroad for the next uh, 50, 60 years with my daughter or with my uh, family. So um, the, the pull to get back isn't there. But if nobody's ever <laughs> heard of the Irish ice cream van, uh, jump on Twitter and just put in, at Irish ice cream and work your way backwards. It's one, it's one of the best stories ever, I think, in the history of Irish sport. I remember seeing this and I thought, that's why we started the podcast. We want to try and find the driver of the ice cream van. <laughs> so get him on. It's way better than Connor Meany in the van as well, isn't it? I, crazy time. Dave, look, purposeful. Yeah, and you've, you've taught us a lot today. You, you're continuing teaching us week to week all the time and you're giving to a lot, a lot of people. And you're trying to enact change but also make sure when you leave um that the place is is well able to handle that change and that speaks a lot to you as a person as a professional we wish all environments did the same our last question from the two of us here over uh, across the water to you david is what does high performance mean to you i i was really excited about this and you know there's so many great um, answers out there and you've done so many great ones. And I wanted to put it down to one word to make it easy for people to visualize. And my description of high performance is glue. It is the glue that brings everything together. And if you can glue all of the different components and if people are stuck in their silos or people are part of a network, there's outliers, there's active, passive, resistant. There's all these different people on the bus. There's different carriages. There's, it's a train, it's a boat, it's whatever. You can glue all that together and make it closer. If you can make cohesion, then I believe your high performance model will be successful. So if you can spot a part of your organization that is not glued to the rest of it, high performance is going over there to understand why and getting it closer and then making sure that the adhesion is there so you can have a cohesive group david we're nearly there but gonna put you on the spot and surprise you for everyone listening to this david cosgrave founded the leadership bunker with a couple of other people and we were the two of us have been fortunate to spend some time out with you cosgrave and the main reason everyone turns up every week is for the wrap-up we'd be gutted if david cosgrave didn't fancy wrapping up as he usually does on the leadership bunker this episode uh this was a fantastic podcast brought together by the two boyos from dublin and the lad from ballybrack we touched on so many things today we were bouncing around in the irish ice cream van from poznan to dublin to copenhagen in denmark and we found ourselves over on the transatlantic side of orlando where disney is 
Um, we have a couple of great characters on the show, and there's always some other characters that will tell you about great things like social cohesion and psychologically informed environments and what it takes to win. Big shout out to Dave Redden for giving me that, but Mark Taylor for taking me on the journey. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening to me speaking on this podcast. Thank you very much, David. Brilliant. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, lads. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.